KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Jim Melwort. Look, I'm a parent, and this has been top of the list in my house and among everyone I know. What is school going to look like when kids go back in the fall? Uh, are kids going to be in school? Are kids going to be learning at home? If they go to school, is it possible for them to social distance? Can they wear masks? All those questions. I wanted to take them to people that I deal with on a regular basis on my beat and ask them what we're going to do when schools go back. I'm the Suburban Bureau Chief at KYW News Radio. I started here in Montgomery County, just outside Philadelphia, uh, with uh, the chairwoman of the Board of Commissioners, Dr. Val Arkush. And then I went to Barbara Russell. She's the superintendent of Perkiomen Valley School District, which is about 30 miles northwest of Philly. First, I talked with Dr. Arkush about what she thinks school might look like come the fall. One of the most important things that people need to keep in mind is that part of the decision to open up schools this fall will be very dependent on the amount of virus present in our region. Right now, we're in pretty good shape. We've been running a positivity rate of around 4%. If we can keep the virus rate that low, then opening the schools will be relatively safe. But I want to emphasize that word relatively. There is no scenario under which we can guarantee that any school anywhere will be 100% safe from COVID-19. So it's particularly important that everybody comply with guidance right now to help keep the rate of virus in the community low. That will help make our schools safer. Now, the schools themselves are taking a number of steps to help keep their particular buildings and facilities and staff and teachers and students safe. And each school district will look a little bit different because every school district is different. But in general, what families can expect to see is mask requirements, and those masks will need to be on most of the time. There will be some exceptions, but in general, they'll be needed to be on most of the time. We're also putting a lot of emphasis on face shields. For instance, in certain types of learning, like uh, reading or phonics, things like that, they do. students do need to see the teacher's lips moving and mouth moving, and, and the teachers need to see the students. And so we're emphasizing face shields for certain situations. Our schools are working to keep students six feet apart where feasible. That will not be feasible in every classroom in our schools. Schools are ordering sneeze guards um, as a way to help protect students who are uh, not six feet apart. And uh, there's lots of cleaning protocols. There are some school districts are thinking about a more hybrid schedule where some learning is from at home and some learning is in person. Uh, There's a number of things being considered, but the biggest picture thing and the thing that matters today is that the steps that people are taking today to follow social distancing, to wear masks, those things are working. And if people keep at it, the virus will be relatively low when kids head back to school. And that means our schools will be relatively safer. You mentioned no one-size-fits-all for each district, each school, each building. What about parents? We, we had a meeting here in, in my district and, and heard a lot of concern from parents and hearing both sides. You know, nobody, nobody's going to be happy in, in this no matter what happens. But, but I guess kind of what's your message to schools? What's your message to parents who don't want to send their kids back, who do want to send their kids back? How, how can all that be balanced? 
Sure. So this is going to need to be a risk benefit decision for each family. And what I do want families to know is that the superintendents in Montgomery County have been amazing. These folks are working tirelessly to make every building within their school system as safe as possible. And again, I want to just say one more time, no building will be 100% free of the coronavirus. That should not be the expectation. But these superintendents have been real heroes, and it has been an honor to work with them. And I just want to assure families and, and let them know how hard they're working to make this as safe as possible. So <clears throat> with that understanding, each family is going to have to make a decision. You know, if you if your child has a condition, underlying medical condition, that would make it a little riskier for them should they get coronavirus or if there is a member of the family in the home that if that child brought home the coronavirus that could really be at risk for serious complications that uh, family might want to move toward more of a cyber school experience rather than a full-time in-person uh, experience and again there's a huge amount of benefit, particularly for younger students, for in-person learning. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics has been very clear about that. But each family is going to have to make that decision in the context of what's best for their family and what the situation is at their particular school, their particular student's classroom or rooms, and what the prevalence of viruses in our region. And that's when it's so important that we remember how we are all in this together, because we have to work together as a community to keep the virus rates as low as possible. One of the things we're also hearing is, is from staff, concerns from staff, uh, especially unions, in that they don't feel safe going back, coming back, and, and teachers don't feel safe, especially older teachers. Is there a recommendation, a way, that, you know, has the county um, or anyone else kind of uh, offered any guidance on that? Not specifically, but I would offer the same guidance that we've been giving for the past 19 weeks, that each person needs to assess their personal risk of uh, serious complications from the coronavirus. And that is a conversation that I hope people are having with their healthcare providers, the people that understand their medical condition best. And they will need to make a personal assessment of if I did get the coronavirus, what are the chances that I might have a serious consequence from that? And those will need to be personal decisions. Um, I really, really understand that this is going to be a difficult decision for some people. And we have to just all do our best. We have to be patient with one another. We need to show a little bit of kindness and understanding that we remain in somewhat uncertain waters here. We know a lot more than we did 19 weeks ago, uh, for instance, that the virus is airborne, and that is why wearing masks is so, so important. But when it comes to making that personal decision about should I personally go back to work in a particular physical location, that is an individual decision. And I would certainly urge people to talk with their healthcare providers about what that decision should be for them. When we talk about the positivity positivity rate, in case somebody's listening to this, just explain that, that 4%, kind of just highlight what that means. Montgomery County has been very closely following our positivity rate here in the county. What that means is we look at the number of tests that are done on all Montgomery County residents on any given day 
and we see how many of those tests are positive. And I just want to be clear, it's not about the day that we get the test result back. We actually then go back and look at what day was that test done. So you can pick a date, you know, today is July 15th, a week or so from now, we'll look at every test done on a Montgomery County resident on July 15th. We'll see what those results are, and then we'll calculate a positivity rate for today. And when that rate is below 5%, which is what we've been for a while now, thanks to everybody's hard work, um, it is relatively safe, it's believed, for children to go back to school. But I do want to, again, reemphasize, it's not 100% safe. There is no scenario under which any school will be able to guarantee that there will not be coronavirus in that school. And so that's why it's just very important to keep the viral rate as low as possible in our community. That makes it safer. And that individual families will have to assess their personal circumstances in terms of risk from the coronavirus when they're making decisions about sending their own children back to a particular school. All right. So after I talked to Dr. Arkush, I, I wanted to narrow it down more and drill more into those. So I talked with Superintendent Barbara Russell about what Perkiman Valley is doing, how they're balancing all these different things, safety, parents, teachers, and, and what we can expect for schools in general. Well, I think we are all trying to clearly understand the data that help us to know the status of the pandemic and the spread of the virus in our community. As part of a health and safety plan that's due to the Pennsylvania Department of Ed that must be approved by our Board of School Directors, based on what we learned from the Centers for Disease Control um, and some of those other guiding agencies, the health departments at the county and the state level, we're trying to figure out how do we get kids back in our schools with health and safety guidelines that can be upheld and keep our students safe as well as our staff safe, and then our community, because those individuals are going to leave the school buildings and go back out into the community. So right now we're trying to understand the science of this pandemic and figure out, is it possible to bring our kids back into school buildings where we know they'll get the richest educational experience, the richest social experience with all that must be considered around their, their health, their safety, their welfare while in those buildings. Obviously, there's no one size fits all for for districts, even, you know, buildings within districts vary. What, what's on the table for for Perkiamen Valley? What what options are you are you looking at? What are you leaning toward? Would you prefer hybrid? Would you prefer all of one, whether it's in person or virtual? Where's the district on that? So we've been talking about three different instructional models or three different ways of reengaging our kids in school in the fall, traditional hybrid or virtual, purely virtual. And and really, I announced last night in a community message, I'm really moving away from the traditional. I just don't see it as feasible when I think about 1,800 students in our high school on a regular basis. And I know that some parents will, will opt out of that for a virtual. However, if I'm preparing, if we are preparing as an administrative team for the opening of the year, I don't think traditional is feasible right now with the way we've observed things happening in Pennsylvania and across the nation. So we're really focused upon a hybrid and or a virtual. We want to give parents choice. We'd like to offer them that choice. We're preparing another survey that's much more intentional for parents and their individual child or children. What are your intentions in the fall if 
these different possibilities were available to you so that then we can respond and plan accordingly. And, you know, I've sort of expressed it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg. You know, where do you get your information first as you plan? Because I'm also very aware of the concerns on the part of our staff coming into a congregate setting where we know the likelihood of contracting the virus is greater as opposed to staying in small settings and out of community settings or at home. So we're looking at a hybrid, bringing students in some number of days a week, decreasing the number of students in the building to about half or fewer, and then engaging them virtually on the other days of the week. So we would have students attending based upon their last name, the first letter of their last name, or maybe their neighborhoods to be efficient with transportation. Um, we want to work with families too. We don't want to be separating siblings if we can avoid that. Um, so right now we're probably focused primarily on those two options the most, hybrid and virtual. And as you say that, it, it kind of gives a glimpse into the challenge here as, as you're, you're trying to figure out what you can do, but you don't know how many students you're planning for. Like you said, some parents may opt out, but they might not. So how do you plan for something when you don't even kind of really know what you're planning for? Yeah, and I think that's that's probably been the biggest challenge of preparing for 2021 is the number of uncertainties that have come with the conditions of this pandemic and providing the educational service we typically provide as a school district. There are just so many unknowns, and I get a lot of emails from families that express to me I really have reservations about sending my child or my children back to school. I'm not going to do it. Will you provide a virtual option? As opposed to individuals who say, you know what? The risk versus reward leads me to feel like I can send my child back to school. And I certainly hope you offer that option. So people are all over the place. And we as a school district, that's, that's why I mentioned the choice. I'd really like to be able to offer families choice. They're in some days a week, virtual other days, or if they want a purely virtual, we already have that. We plan to expand it, anticipating there will be a greater number of families interested in that option. Um, but we're, we're trying to cover all of our bases while we've got lots of plates spinning. And we understand there may be some additional guidelines handed down from PDE as well as the county this week, which will also provide us with some direction the hope is that we can have a final plan by the end of the month so that we can extend that to our families and they can plan accordingly. As far as uh, staffing space, can you accommodate all these plans? Is is that an added challenge too, both you know, having the number of teachers or, or staff that you would need to do this and the you know six feet in, in, in classrooms? We've actually laid out classrooms where we've set desks apart by six feet and we cannot accommodate the typical or full classroom of students that we've got scheduled right now. So unless students and teachers, all staff wear masks consistently, then they're going to have to remain six feet apart. We can't get the whole group in a classroom setting. And that's at the elementary, the middle and the high school. We just can't do it. We do have some questions that have been posed about that mandate to wear masks. And there are concerns about that. And there are concerns from me about expecting some of our youngest students in elementary school to be expected to wear a mask all day. We anticipate that's really going to be hard for some of our kids. So again, are we putting people in the safest, most healthy environment by bringing everybody back? So the hybrid allows us to reduce the numbers and fit half the number of students in a class with six feet of social distance. 
that's much more doable. And there is research supporting that if you decrease the number of individuals in those cohorts, you decrease the likelihood that the virus will spread. And, and that's really a part of a strong part of the justification for us suggesting that hybrid and really trying to tease out some of the details and the logistics that come with it. Is there one particular group or age or any way you break it down that, that you as, as an educator think needs to be in a classroom in front of a teacher? Well, I think, as I mentioned very briefly, I think for all kids, for most kids, I shouldn't say all, for most kids that in school setting is the most rewarding. It's the richest for them. They learn the most. They have the most social interactions. They have the opportunities to engage in activities, realize their strengths, and um, really connect with people. If I prioritize, I'm very worried about our special education students and them getting the services that they are entitled to in the ways that they need them. I'm worried about our youngest learners and advancing them as readers. We know if kids aren't reading on or above grade level by third grade, they then increase their chances of struggling through school. So we're thinking about that a lot. But I'm also worried about all kids when it comes to mental health and wellness. More and more, we're hearing about the real social and emotional voids that have developed, the gaps in some of our kids, the feelings of loneliness in some of our kids, a lack of motivation because they haven't been around other kids and they haven't been in that structured and routine school setting that they're so used to. What what are the the, the challenges with staffing, even just in, you know, as you try to balance a, a, a hybrid model with virtual in class, would, would teachers be expected to do both? Would they be assigned to one or the other? With staff, with respect to staff, I also have concerns because I have become aware of some personal health concerns on the part of our our staff. And I'm not interested in, we as a district are not interested in putting anyone at greater risk by bringing our students back into the building, bringing our staff back into the building. So we are continually learning more from our teachers association about some of the considerations that will, in their view, just strengthen those health and safety guidelines we we plan to uphold. And as we talk about a hybrid and a virtual, there are certainly leave options that are available to individuals who really absolutely don't want to come back on site as part of a hybrid or just really aren't interested in delivering instruction in a virtual. Maybe they have personal health issues. There are leave options. Right now, we're trying to figure out if we offer both of those. And again, this is based on the number of parents and their interest. uh, How would we assign our staff to maximize the human resources and the actual strength, the robustness of the service? We, We know that we need to improve on the virtual experience for students. No matter what level we may offer that this fall, we know we have to improve upon that over the spring. And we're preparing ourselves to be able to do that. How we assign staff, if we've got both going, is another question. Because if teachers are faced with having to plan in-class, on-site lessons and virtual lessons, that can be a real challenging and daunting task. So we're trying to figure out what would work best for all. The service our kids get delivered to our students as well as what our staff are then asked to manage. And, you know, I'll, I'll back up a little bit and suggest that we're seeing in this past week and in some correspondences 
that we've received, both Jess Lester and I, that the tide is turning. There are more families that seem to be reaching out, indicating I have some real reservations about sending my children back into the buildings. I'm a little nervous about that, putting them into that community setting. So uh, all the more reason that we really have to think carefully about how do we divide that work again so that the service we offer is the strongest it can be with the resources we have available. The virus is out there. There's no way to prevent that. And there's a, a very real and likely possibility, whether it's Perkiom and Valley, some school in Montgomery County, in our region, whatever, is going to have a child who gets the virus or who tests positive, teacher, staff. Do you think there's the stomach in the community to, to push through that? I talked to uh, the health director in Bucks County, uh, Dr. Damsker, and he said, like, we need to understand that kids are going to get sick and we need to keep schools open and just and just accept that. Do you think, uh, judging by the conversations that you've had, had here in, in your district, that, that there would be the stomach for that? Uh, the, the, the thought of it certainly creates a lot of anxiety for me personally. And I think that that is our worst fear and nightmare, really, around bringing kids back into school is that children would get sick. And we have observed positive cases among children that have come together in some other states through summer camps or summer experiences. Again, those congregate settings, whether or not there's the stomach in the, in the district, you know, I, I can't say that with any kind of backing of data. However, I know we are a close knit community, strong partnerships between our families and our schools. And we often work together as we move this district forward. And I, and I can't imagine um, that individuals would be okay at any level if there's an outbreak in our schools and children get sick. In fact, I think it would really be a huge hit to our community, especially with some of our youngest learners that are so uh, innocent and vulnerable and maybe not as good at upholding some of these guidelines that we're expecting you know, social distancing, wearing masks, washing your hands a lot, not touching your face, not touching your friend. I mean, that's hard for our youngest learners. Is that something that would be put on staff to, to police children in masks? And, and has, has there been discussion with staff on that? Or are they concerned that, you know, they'd be spending how much part, how much part of their day trying to keep a, a six-year-old in, in his or her mask? I think the reality of some of these guidelines being upheld is setting in and there are real questions and there are reasonable questions around the practicality of six-year-olds, as you mentioned, being expected to be consistent with in all of these areas throughout a day. That is not something that we view as easy for our kids. And honestly, speaking of the masks just a little bit more, there are some differences in opinion on really how much we can mandate, quote unquote, the wearing of a mask. Right now, the order that has been handed down indicates students and staff, anybody in a school setting needs to wear a mask. There's also a statement in there that says, if you don't want to wear a mask, if you can't wear a mask, you don't need to wear a mask. And there doesn't have to be a reason why you're not wearing a mask. So, so again, that, that's another challenge for us to consider in all of this. There are people that feel strongly against wearing masks. And I'm certainly respectful of their opinions. However, that doesn't make it easier for us in the school setting, based upon what we know in science, masks acting as a preventative measure. It doesn't make it easier in the school setting to then require masks on the part of everybody. 
technically people don't have to wear them if they don't want. Well, we would expect it. I don't know that we can mandate it and enforce it 100%. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Jim Melwert. We'll have another episode out soon.